And welcome to each and every one of you. We're glad to have you join us on this worship time together online. And today we'll continue on in the birth of the church as we talk about the Pentecostal power beginning at Acts 2 verse 1. The scripture says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, you know, this was a time of Pentecost. That's Greek for 50. It was a time where 50 days following the Passover was when they celebrated this time. Josephus estimated that there were probably a million Jews in Jerusalem at this particular period of time uh, 2,000 years ago. You see, it's 50 days after the Passover feast. The Old Testament calls this time the Feast of Weeks. It was seven weeks or 49 days uh, were to be numbered from the Passover. And on the 50th day, the Jews were to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Now, this was also called the Feast of the Wave Loaves. This came at the end of the wheat harvest in Palestine, and they took their new wheat, the first fruits of their harvest, to make two loaves. Interestingly enough, this is the only time where leaven was added to the bread in any of the celebrations in Jewish culture. And there was a reason for that. Leaven always symbolized the sinfulness of man, and yet it recognized the fact that because there were two loaves, they were symbols of two bodies at this particular time from which the church was to be formed, the Jews and the Gentiles. This leavened bread symbolized the fact that the church is comprised of sinners such as you and I, people who are imperfect, but that we are all works in progress. And so these loaves symbolized the joining of Jews and Gentiles together in one great church. Jesus said earlier that I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that there shall be one flock. So on this day, Jesus brought the Jews and the Gentiles together to create his church. Earlier we had determined that Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples, appearing to them from time to time, showing himself alive after many infallible, unquestionable truths. 40 days following the resurrection, which means that when Jesus sent them to Jerusalem to just wait until they have received power from on high, and when that happened, they would know the Holy Spirit would come into their lives. Therefore, this must have been some 10 days of wait in Jerusalem. The word that is translated house has also been translated temple. So let's assume that the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, were gathered together praising God, worshiping in the temple, when this sound like a mighty wind came. Those of you that have been 
in tornadoes. You understand or have seen people being interviewed who have experienced tornadoes. You hear the same thing. It sounded like a freight train. Well, it's that kind of sound that the wind makes that literally causes us to run for shelter. And I can see all of the those who were gathered together in Jerusalem that were celebrating this Pentecost or this Feast of Weeks would rush into the temple. Those who were outside in the courtyard, perhaps, or, or outside of the building would hear this mighty wind, knowing something is coming, would rush into shelter. Now, there's three symbols that are given here that I want us to be mindful of. First symbol is that wind. You see, wind is always the symbol in the scriptures of invisible power. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Jesus was being asked by Nicodemus, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the spirit, be born physically as well as spiritually. Be born a second time. Nicodemus said, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? It wasn't a sarcastic or a flippant response. He was just sincerely seeking or he wouldn't have been there in the first place. Well, Jesus said, the wind blows. You cannot see it. But you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. And the spirit is like the wind. Well, we recognize the fact that the, the wind being invisible is that symbol of invisible power. And the spirit of God is just like the wind. So we understand that the power of the Holy Spirit that comes on us is that power that is invisible. We don't We know where it comes from because it comes from God. And yet, you know, when that spirit moves, we don't know exactly where it goes and where it moves. What countries, what individuals, what cultures are being impacted by that spirit of God? Well, there's a second symbol that is used here. All of them, it was their tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Fire as a symbol is used in two ways in the scripture. First of all, it's used as a purifier, which burns up the dross and the the waste of something. So when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, at that point in time when you and I trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, at that very moment, the Spirit came to us and indwelt in us, according to John 14. So this is a one-time experience for us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That happens when we confess our sins, turn our lives over to Jesus Christ, and allow the Spirit of God to come into us. He becomes the seal of our redemption, according to Ephesians. Now, when that happened, we have been purified from our sins. Our, Our lives have begun basically for eternity from that point forward. We've been born anew, born a second time, born again. And when we have been born again, our lives began, we have been purified. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. And so we recognize that through the Holy Spirit, we have been purified. 
Now, we still sin from time to time. There's rarely a day goes by that we don't. But it's that confession of sin, confession of the wrongdoing, confession of our disobedience to God that in faith allows us to be forgiven, to to have that sin cleansed or purified again. That's That's that fire, that purifier, the Holy Spirit that resides in each and every one of us. But secondly, Jeremiah 29, remember Jeremiah the prophet in that 20th chapter said, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, he said. Indeed, I cannot. So the second characteristic of fire is that it is it symbolizes passion or purpose or enthusiasm. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're following him faithfully. There's a passion in us that cannot sit still. There's that enthusiasm that wants to do and say things for the glory of God. We want to testify as to all that God has done in and through us, with us, for us. We recognize the fact that this passion comes from our relationship with God that is brought about by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives. It's like Jeremiah said, I cannot sit still. I cannot be quiet about it. It became like a fire in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot. It makes us proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, His grace, His mercy, His salvation, all these wonderful things. In this day and age, when you turn on the television or listen to the news, and it seems like we basically go from one crisis to another, we as followers of Jesus Christ are always quick because of the passion that is in us, stirred up by the Holy Spirit, to proclaim the goodness of God, to proclaim His mercy, to proclaim His grace. We are the ones that have this enthusiasm brought about by our walk with Him. And so it is that enthusiasm and that passion, that purpose that propels us to embrace each day with glory. D.L. Moody was once thinking about the statement that was made that the world has yet to see what God can do to a man wholly yielded to him. And he was walking through the streets of New York. That statement kept haunting him to the point that D.L. Moody said, Oh God, make me that man. And it became so overwhelming in his heart and life at that particular moment that he literally had to go to a friend's apartment and ask for a room to sit in for the next hour so that all of this could be expressed by him. That passion that, that wells up within us begins to become an overwhelming passion. Well, then there's that proclamation. Tongues were the third symbol. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, let me just give a qualifier here. So many people want us to be a Pentecostal church. You know, when Jesus was born, there were shepherds, there were angels, angelic hosts singing Uh, about the birth of Jesus Christ. The angel appeared to the shepherds. Wise men came. 
It was a one-time experience. When the crucifixion of the only begotten Son of God occurred, it was a one-time experience. When he was resurrected the third day, according to the Scriptures, it was a one-time experience. Pentecost was a one-time experience. It is not to be repeated. It is not to be sought after. It is not to be uh, paralleled in any form or fashion. Pentecost was a one-time experience, and I'll tell you why. Because the disciples had been told by Jesus as he was about to ascend into heaven, go, wait in Jerusalem until you have been empowered from on high. That would be the indication that the Holy Spirit was come to you. Now, for all of us, we have studied that the Holy Spirit was given in the Old Testament and rescinded by God. He would put the Holy Spirit on a prophet, for example, as the prophet would prophesy, and then the Holy Spirit would be taken back from God by God. In the New Testament, part of this church covenant that God has with us is that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit not only comes to dwell with us, but will abide in us and will stay with us forever. And so at Pentecost, these Galileans, these uneducated, uh, motley crew of disciples began to speak in other languages. How do you know that? Read further. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own tongue. This was not gibberish. This was not any kind of what they call today glossolalia, unknown tongues. These were languages that they knew. It was the indication that the church had begun. God was bringing Jew and Gentile alike together. God was taking all the nations and explaining to them how very valuable they are to him and to his kingdom. The church was comprised of all of these nations gathered together in Jerusalem during the celebration of Pentecost. Listen, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? What are they saying? They're uneducated. These fishermen, look at them. They still smell like fish. They don't study in the halls of the temple. They don't study under a rabbi that is recognized by us. These are not educated people, but they're speaking our language. What kind of language? He continues, this is, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. In our own tongues. There were some 16 languages being spoken there. And the nations that were represented went all the way from the Black Sea around the Mediterranean, around the Fertile Crescent into North Africa. You see Egypt and Ethiopia. All of those lands through northern Africa were represented as well. They had come a considerable distance. And when when these 
disciples, these apostles, these 120 plus people were gathered together in this temple area. They began to speak to the glory of God, praising God and talking about Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Redeemer, the Sanctifier, the the Paschal Lamb, that which was given for our Passover time, the ultimate sacrifice given for our sins. And as they continued to praise God, they were praising God in languages that were being understood by people who had traveled there for this festival occasion. Wow. Now, you wonder why the church not just added those, but multiplied, just completely blew up the Mediterranean region because as, as these would go home to these regions from the Black Sea around to the northern part of Africa, you would see them praising God and talking about what they had experienced that Pentecostal time in Jerusalem. What a tremendous thing. This third symbol was tongues. These, each person heard in his own language. That, that word in the Greek is di, diaklectos, and it is that where we get dialect from. It is an, their own language. So he says, Jews from every nation under heaven in verse 5. You see, the wind helped herd people together. And as the wind herded those people together, then the Holy Spirit began to do His work. Wow, the Bible says, verse 12, amazed and perplexed. Amazed. This is a word in the Greek that means to push out of their senses. In other words, they were completely out of their minds over what they were experiencing from these disciples. Or back in the 60s, the word would be, they, they're, literally their minds were blown. They just couldn't comprehend this, what was happening at that particular time. God was getting the glory. God was glorifying himself. He was, through the disciples, proclaiming his own glory and his own grace, his own salvation, his own mercy to the people. It must have been a phenomenal time. The Bible says they were not only amazed, they were perplexed. And they asked each other, what does this mean? We've never been around anything like this before. Well, they'd never been around anyone like Jesus before. They had never heard a salvation like Jesus proclaimed before. They had never experienced grace before like Jesus doled out. They had never experienced mercy like the hands of Jesus extended. And so perplexed, thoughts running through their minds is a little interpretation of that word, perplexed. When you come to Jesus, you know, you see these things. Some of us are like the woman at the well. Jesus asked her where her husband is. Well, I, I have no husband. You're right. You've had five, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she said, how does he know all these things? Nathaniel was called as a disciple. Jesus said, yeah, I saw you under the tree. How, do you, how did you do that? Because he is God. We become amazed at the things that God begins to reveal to us about ourselves, about our lives, about our future with him or without him. And so we begin to be amazed and perplexed. Sometimes that happens when we see the Lord working in the lives of other people. 
I have literally been in the hallway with doctors who have been amazed and perplexed. One of the people was my own mother. They were amazed and perplexed. One doctor said to me, he said, I don't get it. I said, let me tell you about this. My mother had a tumor on her spine that several different x-ray, CAT scans, and so forth, MRIs had demonstrated that it was pretty sizable. And by the time I got there, I felt strongly the Lord's going to take care of this situation. So the doctor was in with my mother in surgery and had a neurosurgeon there that was specializing in this area. And in the hallway, he called us out, my father and me, and he said, I don't understand it. I saw that in the x-ray and I saw it in the MRI and the CAT scan. I saw it to the extent that I was being assisted by a neurosurgeon. But he didn't have anything to do because there was no tumor there. Amazed and perplexed? Those of us that trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior aren't amazed and perplexed at all. We are simply rejoicing in the Lord over what he is accomplishing. What a great thing he's doing in our lives. What a blessing he has been. And it amazes and perplexes people who aren't people of faith, those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or those who have not followed him faithfully in some form or fashion. Amazed and perplexed, that's exactly what they are. People are already today talking about how they are experiencing through this coronavirus. They are experiencing God in a way that even amazes them and perplexes them. They are seeing healings occur. There are deaths, but look at all the healings. Look at all the healings. And does God get the credit for those? In a lot of cases, no. Does he get the blame for the the negative turnouts? Of course he does. But you know what? God uses each and every one for his glory. I'm praying today that we as believers will become so empowered by the Holy Spirit, so filled, so permeated with His His power, that the church will begin to do things in this community that the community will become amazed and perplexed over simply because they cannot understand it. But you and I won't be amazed at all because we understand the source is the Holy Spirit. The source. Every church ought to be doing things in the name of Jesus Christ that only He can be given credit for. Only He can receive the glory. And so that's what it was there. Only Jesus Christ. They were praising God and glorified Him in the temple area when all of these people began to hear the disciples praising God in their own languages. I've spoken through interpreters a number of times across the world. And how neat it would be that if I could just preach and proclaim in the cultural language that I'm speaking. How neat that would be. But here, they needed no interpreter. They heard in their own language, their own tongue. Well, the Holy Spirit is coming to this world and He has given to every person that believes in Jesus Christ as His or her Lord and Savior and if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I pray I, that you will just absolutely today commit your life to Him. 
Accept the fact that you have sinned. Accept the fact that you have disobeyed God. We've all disobeyed. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're not trying to say we're any holier than you are. None righteous, no, not one. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. He has given us the opportunity to have those sins, those disobedient times forgiven by him, by faith in him. So the second step would be believe. Believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Believe. And then confess. Lord, I do believe that you're the only begotten Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and make me what you want me to be. Make me who you want me to be. I want to be your vessel. Thank you. Well, today, I just pray that if there's anyone out there today who would like to pursue this further with me or with someone else in in the church, perhaps, call us. Let us know. Call the church, and we will be more than happy to talk to you about this decision of yours. It's the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. And like those who were there at Pentecost, Some were praising God, glorifying God because of what they had just experienced. Others were amazed and perplexed. I pray that if you're amazed and perplexed, that you'll turn that into faith in Jesus Christ as your only begotten Son of God. Pray that you have a very blessed day thinking on these things, and may the Lord be with you.